1: The following program is brought to you by Bridgeway Community Church.
2: It's Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson, live in the nation's capital. Are you ready to talk to me? It's Wisdom Wednesday. Come on. Let's go.
1: Live from our nation's capital, welcome to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson, an expert on race, religion, and relationships dr anderson wants to talk to you our phone lines are now open 888-432-7434 and now please welcome dr david anderson your bridge building voice in the nation's capital
2: that's me i'm david anderson live in the nation's capital how in the world are you today it's wisdom wednesday if you're new to the show Let me tell you how we roll. First of all, we've got Marriage Mondays, Tough Topic Tuesdays, Wisdom Wednesdays. That's today, Theological Thursdays, and then, of course, Open Phone and Fridays. Anything you want to talk to me about on Friday is fair game. But today is Wisdom Wednesday. I've got a special guest I'm going to tell you about in just a moment, and we're going to talk about some church stuff. So this will be interesting to have the conversation. But before we do, let me welcome all of you in the D.C., Maryland uh, Virginia area we cover all of the DMV including parts of West Virginia and Pennsylvania as well the most listened to Christian talk station on the East Coast second in the entire country shout out to all of y'all listening to WAVA 105.1 FM right here in Arlington Virginia of course to my Facebook crew thanks a lot I'm waving at you uh, as well as those uh, watching on YouTube So today is Wisdom Wednesday, and we're going to talk today about the coming revolution in the church. Guess what it is? Economics. That's right. In fact, uh, the author of the book is with me, who I'm going to introduce in a second, the coming revolution in church economics. And here's a subtitle, Why Tithes and Offerings Are No Longer Enough, and What You Can Do About It. So for those of you who are pastors, leaders, theologians, as well as just everyday followers of Christ. If you want your church to succeed and sustain into the future, you may want to make sure to tune in to how economics and church work work together. But first, we're going to do what we always do. give you the phone number, bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Here's my number, 888-432-7434. That's 888-432-7434. Or if you're driving across a bridge, maybe they're from uh, Virginia, uh, all you got to do is remember the word bridge, 888 43 brige Come on, let's say a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you give us uh, to have conversation that helps us to build bridges in so many areas. And Lord, when it comes to the church and finances, we need your help. So we commit today's show over to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Everyone said, amen and amen. So the Reverend Dr. Mark Demas is with me today. He's the founding pastor of Mosaic Church of Central uh, Arkansas. And he's also the co-founder of the Mosaics Global Network. Mark's the author of seven books and also an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and Wheaton College. His latest book, he's written seven of them, but his latest one is The Coming Revolution in Church Economics, Why Tithes and Offerings Are No Longer Enough, and What You Can Do About It. Uh, Also, what's most important to know is that uh, Pastor Mark DeMaz is a friend of mine, and he's my brother when it comes to multi-ethnic ministry. So, uh, Pastor Mark, welcome to the show. How are you, sir?
3: Uh, Great, Dr. Anderson. So glad to be with you. And you know, that's so funny. Great minds think alike because I was literally going to say the same thing. The most important thing is I'm a good friend to Dr. Anderson and uh, (laughs) just love your heart and and appreciate the opportunity to be with you talking about such an important topic that really is a bridge building work that you wouldn't think and most people wouldn't tie economics to bridge building, but we're going to it totally is related to the church particularly in urban centers and declining ties and offerings and how yeah. we can build bridges to all people, not just some people.
2: Well, this is so important. We talked yesterday on the air on Tough Topic Tuesday about the decline of Christianity and the rise of people who are not affiliating themselves with religion or church. And I'm sure in some ways uh, with millennials uh, not going to church as much and church uh, attendance declining, unless you're in a mega church type thing, um, you know, the numbers are going to decline as well, so far as offerings. But here, you write a whole book on how the church has to look at economics differently. Tell me why you wrote this book and what is its main uh, point throughout all its chapters, Pastor Mark.
3: Yeah, well, the the primary reason in in my heart for this book really has to do, and again, it goes back to bridge building, is the most difficult. Highest violent crime, urban areas, uh, areas of uh, out or below poverty like the community we're in as a church, 30% out or below poverty. The denominations, networks, church planters typically do not um, plant churches, grow. They don't see a way to sustain ministry through local church in the most difficult areas of our cities, and therefore, church planting, growth, and development typically takes place in the middle class or more affluent uh, areas of a community, right, which means that that the the those people in the most tough the toughest areas are in a sense left behind.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And
3: my my colleague Harry, who's a co-author of the book, he talks about it like a fish net—the old illustration of the Bible where you cast out, you know, throw out your fishing net and catch the fish. Well, if you think about a city at, as a pond, and we throw out this net, and we want to. We want to uh, explain the gospel in a credible way. We want to love people, advance the common good, et cetera. We throw out this big net uh, trying to uh, be credible in terms of our, our, our ministry for Christ. Right. There's holes in the net. There's mm-hmm. holes in the net. And and yes, there might be large numbers of fish in certain areas of our city coming to Christ, coming into the church, everything going will But there's holes in the net. And the, these, these fish, if you will, these people are swimming through these holes. We want to mend that net. We want to mm-hmm. repair that net and we're going to see a lot more churches in the most difficult spaces of our of our communities, uh, highest need in terms of, of crime, prostitution, sex trafficking, all those areas, that's where we need the light of Christ to sign the church. The problem is the American church, denomination mm-hmm. networks, don't know how to fund it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how that can be sustainable. So the primary reason that we wrote the book is to help uh, denominations, networks, pastors, understand what it takes to to create sustainable work in these communities to advance the common good and the gospel but yeah. beyond that Dr. Anderson the other reason is because every church in America not just churches like ours in the urban center but there is coming there is a time already and it's it's only it's coming in the future Where uh, potentially counties are going to tax your property, the federal government may take away tax income status for the local church. Mm -hmm. As you just mentioned from your talk, uh, your conversation yesterday, declining ties and offerings, uh, disenfranchisement with the church, all of this is affecting every local church budget, not just budgets like ours in the urban center. Mm -hmm. And so, for those two reasons, we have to understand and move away from traditional funding models. It's to open up new doors and possibilities, the time to pivot is now.
2: Wow, and so in some ways, the old models of maybe a suburban church supporting an urban church to kind of help mend those nets is not going to be enough if the suburban churches are now going to be taxed, uh, possibly in the future with the tax exemption status being taken away, and if they have declined themselves, one of the thir- first things they're going to have to do sometimes is cut their support, whether to missionaries or to urban uh, churches. Well, listen, uh, Pastor Mark, demas author of the book of the coming revolution in church economics we're going to come right back to you i've got to run to a commercial break but as soon as i do i'm going to come back to you and i'm going to ask you more about what churches can do whether rural whether urban or whether suburban to help get the funds necessary in order to sustain the calling of their ministry if you want to give us a call you want to jump into the conversation with us feel free the number is 888 43 Bridge. This is Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson.
6: Dr. Anderson would love for you to join his Facebook page and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Just search Dr. David Anderson on Facebook. And click like, or Anderson Speaks on YouTube and subscribe. They're a great way for you to connect with and follow Dr. Anderson. Plus, you can watch Dr. Anderson's radio program live or search past episodes. You can also connect with Dr. Anderson and his sponsors at andersonspeaks.com. Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson on Facebook, YouTube, and andersonspeaks.com. Check him out today.
7: I'm Andrew Altman, founder of Best Buy Waterproofing. I hate to see people wait to replace the roof. I'm working on a roof right now where the wood underneath the shingles and the ceiling in the kitchen needs replacing because of roof leaks. Don't let this happen. Get a free estimate before the storms arrive. You deserve the best. Call Best Buy Waterproofing and Roofing. Best
5: Buy Waterproofing before the water.
1: Join our text community and receive a free weekly text from Dr. Anderson. Just text the word INSPIRE to 97000. That's I-N-S-P-I-R-E to 97000. And now, back to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson.
2: And we're back, live in the nation's capital. By the way, uh, you want to make sure to call Best Buy Waterproofing before the water rises. If you've got water in your basement or you're saying, you know what, a big rain is coming, I want to make sure that I am waterproofed, give them a call so they can help you out. Or Leaking Roofs, it's Best Buy Waterproofing and Roofing, and they will hook you up if you tell them that Dr. Anderson sent you. In fact, they always give a $500 donation every time they do business with uh, one of my listeners. They love serving my listeners, and they have won all kinds of awards just because of you. Their number is 844-980-3707. Let me give you their number one more time, 844-980-3707. Now, today we're talking about uh, church economics, and specifically uh, the Reverend Mark DeMaz wrote a book called The Coming Revolution in Church Economics. You see me holding it up uh, right here on Facebook. And here's a subtitle. I like this. Why tithes and offerings are no longer enough and what you can do about it. Uh, Whether you... Agree with that or not, whether you even like it or not, like you might be thinking, but the tithes and offerings of the church should be able to sustain what God's work is. Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but what happens when it doesn't? You have uh, 70% of your uh, funds coming in from tithes and offerings and 30% you got a hole right now. How are you going to help us fill that hole? Well, that's why Mark DeMaz wrote this book. Mark, can you help us understand how do we fill that gap if, let's say, two-thirds of our income comes from tithes and offerings, but we still have a 30% uh, deficit? What are you doing in this book to help us?
3: Yeah, the easiest way, to, really, and simplest way to say this is what is church economics, Dr. Anderson? Mm-hmm. Church economics is is answering this question— How do we leverage the assets of a church, which are people, money, and buildings, Mm -hmm. to bless the community, that is to advance the common good, advance the gospel, do all the things that we want to do as a church, but at the same time generating some measure of sustainable income? So Mm -hmm. leverage church assets, bless the community, generate sustainable income. That's church economics. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you do that in the the quick soundbite, if you will, what the church has to do and pastors, ministry leaders, is move away from a one dimensional game to playing a three dimensional game. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and how that is is like an American football team, right? So you got the mm-hmm. Redskins right there and the D C and the Capitol. Yeah. Think about an American football team. It's actually a team of teams. Right? So right. you have offense, defense, and special teams. Right. Those are actually three separate teams on one team.
2: Yeah. With and separate coaches, the right?
3: Teams Exactly, they have separate coaches they they don't even play they're so different. The games they play, offensive and special teams, are so different that not only do they have their own they have their own head coaches, if you will, we call them coordinators, but th- those players are never on the field at the same time right okay and and here's the deal. you can have a great offense, as you well know, but if your defense can't stop the run, you don't win the game right. Your field goal kicker hits the upright snap, goes a riot, three seconds left, you lose. All three teams have to be functioning at a very high level, right. minimizing mistakes over the course of 60 minutes to win, let's say, the Super Bowl. Right. The American church, in terms of its funding, plays a one-dimensional game. It's a spiritual game, and we we, we share the gospel, we provide children's programs, we do weddings, we'll visit you when you're sick. We provide these goods and services, if you will, Right. and the way it's funded is through tithes and offerings. Let's put that Let's call that – whether you want to call it offense, defense. It's the first of three legs. Okay. But we also need a separate nonprofit um, that can uh, advance our social justice and our compassionate work. By establishing a nonprofit, your second leg, let's call it a defense, if you will, mm-hmm. alongside your offense, that opens up the opportunity for local, state, and federal grants. That, uh, other churches will send you money. Other sen- churches will send you people and resources to support the nonprofit work differently than you couldn't get local, state, and federal grants as a church, but you can get them as a nonprofit. Uh So by moving your justice and compassion work out from the church budget under a nonprofit budget, it opens up multiple streams of income. And the third Mm -hmm. leg, then, is the financial leg. So a spiritual leg, a social leg, but the financial leg is generating for-profit income by renting your facilities, monetizing existing services or outright starting new businesses mm-hmm. and, and so at the end of the day the idea is that we have to create multiple streams of income 50 years ago in in american households the majority of american households were supported they they lived the middle class life in america and supported by one paycheck mm-hmm. um so one paycheck came into the home and everybody was the middle class life about 75 80 percent of homes in 1960 that's the way it was um Fifty years later today, only 20-something percent of homes are funded by one income stream. Mm. Most households have two or more income streams. And the American church and pastors have to understand this. The tithe and offering, if you will, think about it as a single paycheck Mm. in the 21st century. But just like for most homes in America, one paycheck doesn't help us to live a middle-class life. We need two Mm. or three. That's why you have a gig economy, and the church has to gig as well. Mm. So yes to tithes and offerings. Yes, to generosity, but we're also going to have to learn to leverage our assets to generate sustainable income.
2: Now, when we talk about leveraging your assets. Should a church be involved in investments and stocks and things of that sort? Do you have an opinion on that, uh, Pastor Mark?
3: Well, my my opinion is, number one, is talk to a good lawyer and <laughs> good tax account right. before you do anything. Don't just listen to Mark DeMaz or read this book. That's my first thing I'd say.
5: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, and I would say, number two, that very well could be involved. Um, but there's a host of opportunity that we have to to figure this out and to free our minds, if you will, rooted in strong theology. By the way, Dr. Anderson, let me just be really clear. Yes, there are sociological things uh, uh, bringing this to the forefront of the church, but this is strongly rooted in good theology, as we address them in the second chapter of the book. So it could be investment, it could be it could be that, it could be taking parts of your building that are sitting there empty. Mm-hmm. And, and renting them, starting a new business in it, it could be renting your parking lot it's, it, it It could be again monetizing a service like virtually every church in America serves free coffee, but like in our case, that costs us three thousand dollars a year well i 'm mm-hmm. like why are we why is three thousand dollars a year walking out my front door? I could sell Jimmy Dean sausage biscuits that I could buy for ninety five cents at sam 's club. I can sell them for two bucks on a Sunday morning. They cost three fifty across the street at McDonald's. My people get a cheaper biscuit. I sell three thousand over fifty-two Sundays in a year. I, now I've got three thousand dollars more of tithes and offerings if you go to direct right. ministry like youth scholarships for camp in the summer or what have you just by applying smart economics. And by the way, not only talking to lawyers and accountants, but pastors don't need to be the people leading this third leg of the charge. The uh-huh. coordinator, if you will, the coach needs to be entrepreneur business leaders who understand this. You cannot think about business, as you well know, Dr. Anderson, you can't think about that from a ministry perspective. Right. Anytime a pastor uses the word ministry in the context of of funding, it basically means a financial loss. You've got to have business people people engaged uh, as partners in this venture and let them tell you as pastor how this works, like a good special teams guy, or a defense might tell the head coach, here's how we need to play this. And if you get trusted people on your team, right. then, of course, you can win the game.
2: I was talking to my uh, my CFO uh, even yesterday and talking about uh, how we need to build a fast team, fast standing for financial advisory strategic team, where you put business people on there and all they're doing is thinking about how they can, uh, you know, help sustain the financial viability Uh, of of the church and not just the viability of it but how do you get to the other side of it where you're at a surplus Uh, and a lot of churches aren't able to do that because they're not enrolling their business people differently would you agree that business folk uh, aren't going to necessarily always be the folk that are playing with the kids, doing the children's ministry, or opening the door as an usher, that there, there are just some roles that business people are misfit in when it comes to traditional ministry, but a great fit in if you open up these kinds of doors.
3: 100%. What you're identifying is the erroneous sacred-secular divide. Mm-hmm. whether a pastor is conscious of this or not the fact of the matter is this that intrinsic to the american church and pastoral understanding is the role of the business person the marketplace leader is to make money and then to give money to to me the pastor give money to us the church and we spend it on sa- on sacred things
5: mm-hmm. and
3: that's an erroneous divide the sa- there should be no divide between sacred and secular because our work matters to god mm-hmm. so that, that's at the root of your question, in my opinion. And yes, you're absolutely right. The way a pastor, and you're very successful, and you're very entrepreneurial, and you, you get it so much done uh, in so many ways. But let's say you're a successful businessman, Dr. Mm-hmm. Anderson. You've got a company. I'm going to say you've got eight employees. You're making money. You're doing good. Mm-hmm. And you come to my church, and we're friends, and you like me, and you like the church. And I say, hey, hey, Dr. Anderson, man, you're so successful. You're so friendly and outgoing. Hey, would you be a greeter? right like what did i just do
5: <laughs> right.
4: i just
3: took an entrepreneur and yeah. i made him an employee in my company
4: yeah
5: and you'll
3: say yes because you like that you are not be a team player but i made you an employee mm-hmm. or i could say hey dr anderson um you know we've got all these moving parts called first impressions how do we move people from walking in the front door to becoming members and there's these moving parts and i know you built a company and blah blah, blah. would you mind do you think you could take that over for us and run it what did I do? I just made you a manager,
5: mm-hmm. or I
3: put you on an elder board or whatever, and I just made you a manager in my company. Now, there, those we need, man, we need people on the elder board, and we need people to oversee first impressions. But you know what I want to say to you, the entrepreneur and the marketplace leader? I want to go, Dr. Anderson, I got $3,000 a year walking out my front door mm. in the form of free coffee. Do you think that you could get in there and figure out a way where I can recoup that $3,000 of ties and offerings – and make sure that's going to direct ministry impact in our community and right. people's lives and figure out a way to monetize that existing services called copy. Dr. Anderson, we're spending 28000 a year on janitor services. Mm-hmm. We're paying people to clean our building. Do you think you could figure out a way to take that 28000 create a janitor company, create jobs, get contracts in mm-hmm. the community – Whereby we could net twenty eight thousand a year from those contracts, and our church could be cleaned for free. Essentially, right. employees paid by the net profit, and we recoup twenty eight thousand a year. In our Do you think you could help us figure that out? Whenever I talk to business leaders like this, Doctor Anderson, they yeah. literally sit up in their chairs and lead forward. They are sick and tired mm. of the erroneous sacred secular divide. They are sick and tired of being asked to be employees and managers in the. Than the church company, if you will, right? free them up, pastor, ministry leaders. And this is why people who are listening to your show, whether they're in government, whether they're in business, you ought to be excited and take this to your pastor. Say, I want to partner with you in this yeah. thing. There is no divide. Let me at them.
2: Wow. 888-432-7434 is the number in studio. I am live right now in the nation's capital, and I'm talking uh, with uh, Dr. Mark DeMaz. He is the author of the book called The Coming Revolution in Church Economics, and the subtitle is Why Tithes and Offerings Are No Longer Enough and What You Can Do About It. He co-authored it with uh, Pastor Harry Lee, and uh, it's been endorsed by many folk as well as published by uh, one of the publishers of my books as well, and that's Baker Books, along with uh, the Mosaics uh, Global Network. If you want to give a call now, now would be the time uh, to do it. Uh, Pastor Mark, I know that some people are probably thinking, uh, and I'll get your comments after the break, but they're probably thinking, hold on, didn't Jesus overturn all of this marketplace stuff when he was in the temple, and are we really allowed to do this? And uh, you're stretching my brain here. So when we get back from the break in just a moment, I want you to think about that. And then also, uh, Pastor Mark, give me 10 seconds on this. Why do most pastors not know how to do this?
3: We are not. We are not taught this in seminaries in preparation for ministry. We are not mm. encouraged to think like this. And if anything, as your question, we'll come back to it after the break. It, we're discouraged from thinking like this, mm. and 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 that all has to change.
2: Well, your book is helping uh, so many people start to think differently. Better make sure you pick this book up. Uh, tell me, Mark, where can people get the book?
3: uh amazon obviously online uh you know all the places you can get a book both in kindle and as a paper book sounds Uh, paperback i'm sorry sounds online
2: when we get back from the break we're going to dive into this just a little bit more i'm on the line with pastor mark demas this is real talk with dr david anderson
8: I was thinking today, Thanksgiving turkey is kind of overrated without everything else. We call it Turkey Day, but where would good old Tom be without the mashed potatoes, corn, cranberry sauce, football, family, and Uncle Joe's funny naptime snoring? Hey, it's Ryan, and at our Faith and Family Mortgage Team, it's the same. Our main turkey is that we're a direct lender, a reality that often allows our company to get you a better rate and save you monthly and lifelong money. But we like to think that what really makes us special is everything else. Our small team and personal attention, our commitment to keep it real on whether we can actually help or not, and our specific commitment to super-serve WAVA listeners. It takes our whole United Faith Mortgage family to land a turkey for your family. See what we did there? Happy Thanksgiving from United Faith Mortgage. UMC Mortgage Company, Melbourne, New York, Number 1330, AnimalSconsumeraccess.org. In refinance, total financing charges may be higher over life of loan. Message and data rates may apply.
9: Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This isn't 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration expert, can give you your real, natural-looking hair back permanently. They're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to everyone who texts MORE to 85850. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment.
8: Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issue and company and other factors. Not available in all states.
2: It's Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson here in the nation's capital. Welcome to the second half of the program. For those of you just getting in your cars, thanks a lot. Uh, for tuning in. It is Wisdom Wednesday. We've got uh, Mark DeMoss. He's the author of the book, uh, The Coming Revolution in Church Economics, and also he's written several other books. In fact, uh, Pastor Mark, you wrote the book a couple of years ago, Disruption, Repurposing the Church to Redeem the Community. And in that book, you devoted a chapter to disrupting economics. What are some of the factors in the disruption of economics when it comes to church?
3: Well, again, we talked about that, and 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 I appreciate you bringing that book up um, because that book basically laid out the the three-legged stool model, which we mm-hmm. talked about earlier segment here, about churches creating, if you will, an offense, a defense, special teams, three teams on one team, yeah. whereby they can open up multiple streams of income, uh, you know, so on the on the church side, ties and offerings, on the nonprofit side, grants and donations, on the the, the business side, the financial side for-profit pro, uh, for ROI mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, the, and creating those multiple streams of income. So disruption really introduced that whole concept, and as you mentioned, one chapter devoted to economics. This book, of course, takes that one chapter on economics and makes an entire book and goes into the sociology, the seven directives of how to do that. And then what we talk, touched on at the very end of your uh, the last segment was the theology of it. You, yeah. you brought up a, a question that I asked. Hey, Well, should the church be engaged in business at all? I mean, we shouldn't be, right? Jesus overturned the money changers, so we can't be involved in in business in the church. Well, the the fact is, as we explain in the second chapter of this book, theologically, there is every reason for the church to be intentional about this. We're intentional on our worship, our discipleship, our evangelism. We better be intentional in terms of our funding, and there's Mm. nothing wrong and everything right biblically about that. Let me give you a couple quick uh, thoughts on this. One, it's a matter of stewardship. So, in the parable of the good steward uh you know well done good and faithful steward, if you'll recall and I know you will if your listeners will recall uh who who is called well do, who has said well done and good faithful servant right So what that is is it's you gave me five right talent right, course, right. it was money, so let's say you gave me five dollars, here's your five dollars back, and I made you five right here's your two dollars, you gave me two, here's your two, I made you two the The story says he well done good and faithful steward one guy sat on his one guy (laughs) buried that asset right and that's the one who's called wicked lazy slave the Mm. american church right now is sitting on billions of dollars of assets Mm. unused assets it's churches that own land that are just it's just sitting there Mm. it's a church of 65 people with a two and a half million dollar endowment in the bank nobody's getting saved the community's not being touched but by golly those 65 people are proud of the fact they have a two and a half million dollar endowment there is billions of dollars of unused assets in the american church it's buried and i think we would be called wicked lazy slaves so good it's a matter of good stewardship Uh. it's also a matter of honest faith because for instance somebody say well the church should just preach the gospel and trust god and and, and, and right. you, you just preach the gospel, Pastor, and trust God to, pr- to provide for your money. Well, the fact is, think about it, individuals don't even live like that. Christian mm. individuals, we don't live like that. So when somebody asks me that, I say, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, if, if you are the one pushing back in that way, I might say, well, Dr. Anderson, let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever gone to a doctor? Have you ever mm. taken prescription drugs? Where's your faith?
4: Right, right right
3: right I said dr Anderson do you have a job do you get up every day and you go to work and you earn a paycheck by working hard and being faithful and loyal to your company do you or why don't you just sit home and pray and read your Bible all day right and trust God that money will magically show up in your mailbox
4: mm. like
3: in other words have you ever signed a car loan where's your faith have you ever signed a co-signed a loan for your kid to go to college where's your faith right individual Christians don't even live like that
2: uh, but so do we expect why the, would the church
3: they to erroneously expect the collective church to live like that. The fact is, it's both faith and intentionality as it is with everything else in life, and we need to apply that to church economics and funding.
2: Excellent. Well, I'm with the author of the book, The Coming Revolution in Church Economics. This is Pastor Mark DeMaz. He wrote this book because he really wants to help churches move beyond just tithes and offerings and to look into other ways of bringing in multiple streams of income. When we get back from our break, we're going to talk about some of those streams. What does a nonprofit actually look like? Uh, you know, what does a business with a church look like and can a church get involved with with politics how does all that work accepting government money okay well let's talk to pastor mark while we have him our number by the way if you do want to talk to him is 888-432-7434
8: raised by her professor, Why Are You Here at Omega Graduate School? Sebla de Luhailu answered in one of her essays like this, I was not there just to add a prefix to my name, though that would feel good.
2: It's Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. How in the world are you today? Hey, listen, if you're looking to get your master's degree or your doctorate, check out Omega Graduate School. You know the new chancellor there, that's me. So check them out. Go to ogs.edu. That's ogs.edu. And you can get your uh, master's or your doctorate degree while still being an adult working wherever you live get this professional degree. I think you'll be glad that you did. That's OGS.edu. I'm on the phone with uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Damas. He's a pastor out of Arkansas, a church called Mosaic that he started many years ago, a multi-ethnic ministry. We've been friends for probably a couple of decades now, I think, Mark. I'm not sure, but uh, you've done so much work in this area, and we've been able to work together to try to help push Churches toward uh, the the dream of having people from many different nations worshiping the Lord. Would you mind taking a second just to talk a little bit about uh, your desire for multi ethnic ministry and what you've done at Mosaic Church there in Arkansas?
3: Yeah, you bet. Well, of course, David, you know this, uh, Doctor Anderson, but uh, I am. Uh, you were a, a, what I call a forerunner in this. That's even before pioneers, and and now we're in an early adopter stage of this movement, but. Uh, Mm. your heart and your ministry there at Bridgeway uh, was way ahead of the game on this. But Mm. yeah, the the bottom line is this, Uh, in the late 1990s, I began to ask myself the question, you know, uh, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, why on earth is the church? Mm -hmm. Uh, I was raised a Jesuit Catholic, of course, taught the, the, our father, right? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where on earth Mm as it is in heaven. And so by 1997, I'm beginning to ask myself this question, after 18 years as a youth pastor in ministry, you know, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated and Christ taught us that essentially what's going on and intended up there ought to be going on and intended down here, mm. and 93% of churches in America at the time were segregated by race, class, and culture, what's the problem? And mm. what would it take to create a church that reflects its community and more importantly, the kingdom of God uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So in 2001, I set out like you did, and in, in 1994, I think it was or 95, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, the uh, same vision of uh, we're to create a church for all people, not just some people. Right in Little Rock, Arkansas, where blacks, whites, Asian, Hispanics, rich, poor, Democrats, and Republicans. Of course, at that time, we really weren't thinking politics. It didn't. It wasn't the divide. Or mm-hmm. it certainly has become such a division. Today, but you know i 've got as you do in your church, strong Democrats, strong
5: republicans
3: mm-hmm. and 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 people of all persuasions who have found a way and willed themselves to walk work, worship God together as one uh, in a local church in order to advance a credible witness of god 's love for all people, not just some people, and an increasingly diverse and painfully polarized society. so Mm. mosaics is uh mosaic church here in uh, little rock the urban center we're just about two and a half miles or so from little rock central high school uh, second Mm. stop in the american civil rights movement Uh, i'm going to say roughly 28 different uh, denominations different nationalities internationals in our church Uh, little rock is is an american south is in the american south and doesn't have the the general diversity of of other larger cities in the country but about 28 different uh, nationalities uh, in our church, uh, no more than any, no more than 50% of any one group yeah. that makes up a majority of our church. So it's a very integrated church, uh, engaged, as, as you know, not just in terms of multi-ethnic, economically diverse work, but through our right. nonprofit Vine and Village, social justice and compassionate work in our community, uh, and as well as we're talking about today, uh, creating and generating sustainable income, which... When you leverage the church's assets, buildings and people and and, and its money to to start new businesses or monetize existing services or to uh, be a benevolent owner through facility rental – what we've also done and learned to do is we're creating jobs in the community, helping to reduce crime. 19% reduction, by the way, of crime hmm. in our community in a three mile square radius of the church since we've been there. About that? um, this great. is all due to economic development. So job creation, tax uh, revenue ge- creation, uh, reduction in, in, in crime, repurpose of abandoning property. This is the evangelism of the 21st century, in my opinion. In the 20th century, it was explanation, explanation alone was enough to win the hearts and minds of people. so you brought hmm. Billy Graham to your city in the 20th century. He clearly explained the gospel. people got saved. Right. You shared the four spiritual laws on a beach in myrtle uh, uh, on a beach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, right. with strangers they, and they got saved. You, you gave someone evidence that the man's a verdict or more than a carpenter by Josh McDowell. They read it, they got saved. In the 21st century, explanation alone is not enough to to break through the hearts and minds of those without Jesus today.
5: Mm. What
3: is needed in the 21st century is demonstration, Mm. demonstration of the gospel, which healthy multi-ethnic ministry does. It demonstrates God's heart is for all people, not just for some. Salvation, the local church, the coming kingdom of God is for all people, not just some. Do you think Uh, that that has a connection— Et yeah.
2: Do you think that has a connection with millennials as well, the whole idea of demonstration over explanation?
3: Hundred percent. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Because again, words in the twenty first century are cheap. They're often fake, as we talk about fake news and and and, and they're spun, if you will. And mm. and so yeah, words are just words without the works. And you know, this is biblical. That's what's so Crazy to me that people don't get this association. But Matthew five sixteen, Jesus didn't say let them hear your good words. He said let mm. them see your good works.
4: Right. And right. then
3: this is what will glorify your father. The word glory or glorify in that context is like in the dark you you shine a flashlight on who God is and how big He loves.
4: Right. And, right. And
3: so how are they going to see? And how are we going to reveal God in the twenty first century? And it's not merely through words or explanation. But it's primarily through demonstration. And I believe the primary work of demonstration in this 21st century is creating healthy, multi-ethnic, and economically diverse churches
5: mm-hmm. that are
3: engaged and socially just but also financially sustainable, which has an impact, as we've just discussed, yeah. on creating jobs, repurposing a brand of property in a community. And yeah. that's what cuts through to hard parts of our you
2: time. Th- do you think that this is a message – um, that's more, uh, let's see, necessary as we talk about race and multiethnicity for the white evangelical church. And the reason I asked the question is because when you talk about justice and economics as the evangelism of the 21st century, I just sort of harken back to how many uh, black churches I know and have known that have been a part of justice and economics uh, in, you know, in their locales for a long time. Uh, and it almost seemed like it was just social justice Uh, but really, is this really new for the black church, I guess I'm asking, or is this something that's more new for the evangelical church? Have you thought about that?
3: I have, yeah. It's actually, it's new for the evangelical church and for uh, mainline denominations, Mm. many of them, et cetera. It's new for, let's say, uh, new concept disruptive, if you will, for white-majority culture, of which uh-huh. I am a white male, although my biological father was Italian, Russian, Jew, my mother was white, grew up in a single-parent home. So
5: mm-hmm. all that's
3: to say is, yes, for the macro-majority culture of the American church, which, like American culture itself, has to, heretofore been white and majority – Yes, mm. if you will, it's new to them. It's not new, as you rightly say, for urban churches and particularly African American churches. And then you say, well, why is that? Well, the reason, I mean, obviously there's several, yeah. but but to distill it is desperate passion and desperation leads to innovation. Mm-hmm. So when you're an African American church in a majority culture and all the all the factors of 400 years of second class citizenship, et cetera, mm. and you're relegated to to the city and white flight happens and you're a church in the the urban center and and traditionally african-american right um, predominantly and and then you've got all these people and the more people that join your church it costs you money right and 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 you see the need of the people and it's not you have to
2: be innovative you are
3: the community you are the people right then then the churches that care and say they're not content to do a sunday service and sit back with 50 people they want to meet the needs they're passionate they're yeah, desperate they, they got to feed people so they, they got to
2: clothe people yeah. they got to figure out ways to innovate you're absolutely right hey, listen let me uh, run over to washington dc and talk to anna real quick hey, anna welcome to the show how are you today
10: i'm doing all right how about yourself
2: oh, i'm alive and grateful thanks for hanging out with me and pastor mark what are you thinking about today miss anna
10: yeah, I'm not, hi, Pastor Mark. <laughs> um,
2: hey, great to meet you. I'm You're
10: calling hi, <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of the thing about the, the church doing like the breakfast and all of this. I don't I'm kind of desi- I don't know I don't I guess I don't know if it's because it's a new concept that I'm right. having like issues with or it's just the whole scope of it or because mm. I know sometimes. For about like Jesus stuff and all this, the marketplace stuff and all of that, but I don't know, you know, talk about so you sell your sausage biscuits, and coffee and all of that. But what happens when somebody comes up and they don't have the money to buy it, but they hunger? What, how do you address stuff like that? Mm, thank or, you. Or you know, whatever service you're providing, is it going to single people out? You know, it's not going to bring a lot of problems with it.
2: Yeah. Too. Thank- Thank you, Miss Anna. Let me let um, Pastor Mark uh, answer this in just the next 30 seconds. So there's somebody that can't f- afford the sausage and biscuits. You're not saying don't give it to them for free. You're saying that may be one arm of the church, Pastor?
3: Exactly. Like in our church, we converted from free coffee to the first specialty coffee shop in our community. And so now we charge our people coffee, like a dollar for black coffee on Sunday. It's actually cheaper than you can buy black coffee at McDonald's or Starbucks. So we undercut the market, not in a competitive way, but we want to. We don't want to charge top dollar. We're not in it for top dollar. Mm-hmm. And when people can't afford it, of course we're going to give things away for free. But at the macro level, if the American church keeps giving everything away for free, mm. it's not going to be around in ten years.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh. If, you, if
3: your local church keep, it gives everything away for free, it won't be around.
2: Right. So, so you got to figure, it,
3: figure it, out. Balance the
2: attack. Yeah. So you got to figure out what what you can give away for free and what you can monetize so that helps you to be able to serve the community better i appreciate you sir hang on one second let me run to my final break we'll be right back
0: Hi, Don Crow here for Passport Auto Group, a family owned business with a stellar reputation for superior customer service before, during, and long after the sale, a mission and goal to which they've been committed for the past 25 years. And now, when you visit PassportAuto.com on the web, you can take your own virtual internet tour to enhance your buying experience and help you get to know their dealerships online. Just go to PassportAuto.com, browse their amazing inventory, Schedule a test drive of that vehicle you've been thinking about. Investigate financing, lease options, and much more. Whether you're thinking about a BMW, Infiniti, Nissan, Toyota, Mazda, or Mini, or whether you're in the market for a certified pre-owned vehicle, Passport Auto Group is waiting to serve you right now. And I also want to tell you that as a longtime customer of Passport, I can assure you they do what they say they'll do, and they do it right. Passport Auto Group. Serving the Washington, D.C. metro area for 25 years. PassportAuto.com This is David Davenport of the Hoover Institution for TownHall.com. In the
7: first 175 years of the nation, the House of Representatives impeached only one president, Andrew Johnson. Now, in the last 57 years, it's impeached two, Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton, and it may be ready to impeach a third. Why the rise in impeachments? Because we forget that impeachment is extraordinary. The normal way to remove a president is by the people through elections. The extraordinary way is impeachment, with its constitutional requirement of high crimes and misdemeanors. Lacking political patience, we threaten to make the extraordinary now ordinary. Politics is an ugly business. Quid pro quos in foreign policy, they doubtless happen more than we think. And if we don't like them, we have a chance to cast our vote in one year. But a case of high crimes and misdemeanors demanding an extraordinary
0: remedy? I think not. I'm David Davenport. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, preparing leaders for the public square. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.
6: Hello, friends. This is Janice Fonseca, producer of Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. I want to thank you for joining us on this thought-provoking radio show where Dr. Anderson creates a safe, uncommon table to build bridges where there's a divide. Because, like he says, comprehension begins with conversation. Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson is a nonprofit ministry and it is made possible with generous listeners like you. Will you consider partnering with us? It's really easy. Let me tell you how. Go to Andersonspeaks.com and click on the donate button. Consider giving a monthly donation. If you're a business and want to sponsor Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson, email me at at infoandersonspeaks.com. Together we can build bridges and have great conversations on Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. Become a partner or a sponsor and go to andersonspeaks.com and donate. Join us again tomorrow at 3 p.m. and Saturday at 7 p.m. We want you to be part of this conversation. We can't do this without you. We look forward to your partnership and sponsorship andersonspeaks.com.
2: And thank you so much for your donations. Always, always, always go to embracegracism.com or you can download my Gracism app and there you can make a donation. You can holler at me. You can connect with some of my networks, including people like uh, Reverend Mark Demas, who wrote this book, The Coming Revolution in Church Economics. Uh, Pastor Mark, as we bring the uh, our time together to a close, it seems like some people really have a struggle with uh, the money changers uh, deal with Jesus. Can you like, take 30 seconds and explain what that means?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's obviously a frequently quoted passage to discourage business enterprise in the American church or in the local church. Mm -hmm. People have to really understand, and we explain that in the second chapter of the book, you have to do the proper exegesis on what was going on. There were two things really happening there, and the primary thing was this was injustice that was being perpetuated. That's Mm -hmm. why Jesus says uh, both the money changers and the sellers of animals, as well as temple leaders, he calls them uh, thieves and robbers. So Mm -hmm. people are coming in for the feast day, they, they need two things to worship at the temple. They need animals. They don't bring their animals with them. They buy them there. And, and, but what was happening is the seller of animals, in order to do temple worship, they were selling these animals and marking up the price unreasonably. Think mm-hmm. about going to a football game, an NFL football game, and having to pay $8 for a hot dog that should cost you $1. fifty, right? Mm-hmm. You're a captive audience. Right. So they were jacking up the prices for these animals, and who that affected most mm-hmm. was the poor. And right. the poor could not properly, according to the Old Testament law, worship if they didn't have the correct animals.
4: Right. And they were having
3: to pay premium prices in the temple, and temple leaders were getting a cut.
4: Mm-hmm. So that was
3: one problem. The other problem is the money changing. Why was there money changing? Well, what it wasn't that money was being exchanged. It was money changing. And so what was happening is most people had Roman coinage because they're under the Roman government. But to get into the temple, you had to have a half shekel. It was called the temple tax,
5: mm-hmm. and
3: and a shekel is a Jewish coin. So you had to take Roman money at the temple and convert it into Jewish money, right? Into, and to get the half shekel and to pay the temple tax to get in, it is like your ticket, right? Right. Well, like when you go to a foreign country and you keep your foreign money, uh, right. You know, like I I go to France, I got a uh, franc or a euro just and i and i 20 more
2: seconds martin
3: i go to the airport right yeah you go to the airport they're going to jack your price up you want to exchange your money at a bank in country you yeah. don't want to do it at the airport because you're a captive audience they're going right. to charge you higher fees and th- it's so, those two so, things that were happening and temple leaders profiting
2: yeah. at
0: the expense of
2: poor so it was really it was the justice injustice yeah it was the injustice of it so it's not like the lord is telling us we can't do good business we have to do just business well you've done a just job in writing this book the coming revolution in church economics and the subtitle is why tithes and offerings are not or no longer enough what can you do about it thank you for writing this book brother
3: hey great to be with you dr anderson thanks for having me
2: always good to be with you and lord we thank you that you give us all the resources we need and we just pray that you give us even more innovation uh and intellectual strength as you have through pastor mark it's in Jesus' name we pray amen and amen
5: they actually.